0: Welcome to Grand Fraud, the global podcast for fraud and corruption investigators, covering the latest on tech trends, best practices, case studies, and legal analysis in the world of serious fraud investigations.
1: Hello and welcome to the Grand Fraud podcast. My name is Paul Milata. Our guest today is Charlie Middleton, CFA. After working for three legal offices as a tax associate, in 1999 he started as a tax attorney at GE He later moved on to Caterpillar Financial where he led the global tax team In 2007 he became the VP International Tax for Walmart and was responsible for the tax planning of the world's largest corporation by revenue and number of employees In 2010, he became Senior VP Tax at Oxbow, a Koch brothers company where he also led the global tax organization. He left that company in 2016, becoming, in his words, an accidental whistleblower. Charlie, welcome to the Grand Fraud Podcast. Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. Now, in February 2021, the OECD called upon all states to crack down on uh, professionals who enable tax evasion. In your previous life as a tax attorney, did you belong to that group?
0: Absolutely. That that was my full-time job.
1: How would you describe what you were doing?
0: Well, the way that it generally worked is that the in-house tax departments of big companies have three major functions. One is to comply with the accounting laws to to do the the tax accounting. And and the second is to comply with the tax laws to, to fill in the tax returns. And the third is to do the tax planning, that is to reduce the amount of tax you pay. And the, the first two jobs are essential, uh, but less less important than the third one. The leaders tend to be the planners, and the compliance work tends to be more ministerial and is, and is driven by the planning. The way that it turns into a sort of huge conspiracy to cheat the government out of income is that the tax leadership of companies reports to the cfo generally and the cfo is is working to achieve the company's goals you know treasury financing operations and one of the easiest ways to increase the profitability of a company is through the tax line it tends to be very easy to reduce the tax expense compared to reducing to increasing revenue increasing revenue means finding more customers, building more factories, building more stores, whatever. But reducing the tax number tends to be essentially sophisticated paper shuffling. You form a shell company, you route some of your, your your business operations through that shell company in a tax haven, and presto, you accrue less taxes and you look more profitable. And what has evolved is that there's a large group of people whose full-time job it is to support the in-house people in achieving these goals. And the the two principal groups are the law firms and the accounting firms. In my experience, the accounting firms are sort of winning in that the accounting firms have a better business model than the law firms in that the accounting firms will proactively identify quote opportunities and they will communicate them to the internal tax teams and the internal tax teams will vet those ideas and they will then pitch them to the CFO of the company. What happens is that the accounting firms will say to the in-house people, here's a plan, it will save X in taxes and it will cost Y. And so the, the cost benefit analysis is very easy to do. And they'll do this all on their dime. It's a sort of a loss leader. And then they'll recover the costs in implementing the plan. The tax teams of the global accounting firms are principally engaged in that activity. Their number one job is selling tax shelters. Now, they, they don't call them tax shelters. And, and I think that the, the people who do this for a living, including myself when I did it, didn't think of ourselves as being in the tax fraud industry. But if you step back and look at it, it's fairly obvious that that's what's happening. Now, I've I mentioned previously that the accounting firms are winning vis-a-vis the law firms. The law firms also play a very important role. They just haven't adopted this lost leader approach where they actu- actively initiate the planning. They actively sell the schemes. The, the law firms tend to be paid by the hour for what they do. They are very meaningful contributors to the global tax fraud. They use attorney-client privilege. They use a lot of tools that attorneys have at their disposal to help companies get away with tax fraud. There are two sides of the of the coin. And the, you know, the, the net impact is that most sophisticated companies have tax-motivated schemes. Underway at all times, and and that they save a very meaningful amount of money. You know, if you if you look at the global effective tax rate of a company, and then you compare it to the statutory rate of the country in which it's incorporated, you'll notice that there's a very big difference, right? Which in, in the tax trade is called permanent differences. You you permanently make taxes go away, and that doesn't um, happen by accident. The the industry's defenders would say it's all perfectly legal. To which I would say I disagree. I mean, I've been there and. You can, you can make a plausible case that it's, that, that it's all perfectly legal. I mean, I could also make a perfectly plausible case that it's nighttime right now. You know, it's, it's 10 a.m. in Florida and the sun is shining, but it is nighttime in Australia. <laughs> you know, it just depends on how clever you want to be uh, in answering the question.
1: And the argument about the legality of what's happening, what is it based on?
0: The arguments are always based on a technical reading of the rule, and it is very, very difficult to write effective tax laws that don't consider any loophole that someone might come up with. Very frequently, there's basically a a, a cat and mouse game, a a to and fro, where clever tax lawyers will come up with a a scheme and then over some very long time horizon, 5, 10, 15 years, the government will change the rules to close that loophole. But before that loophole has even been closed, the new loophole has been invented. Uh, One good example is the carried interest exemption in in the U.S. If if you are managing money for other people or, or otherwise involved in a partnership and you get paid for that service, there is a way to escape tax on that income, right? Everybody else in the world, when they get paid their salary, they pay tax on their salary. And if they take that money and they make an investment with it, they, then they get capital gains on that investment. But, but in, the, in the money management business, because there's so much money to persuade politicians to, to make favorable laws, you can receive a portion of your compensation without tax, and it, it, is, it has become legal. It's, it started off as being somebody's clever loophole, but it, it, it essentially became legal uh, by, by, by course of dealing, by the practice, right? The IRS couldn't go after everybody at once. So to, the answer to your question is, these things are legal if you follow the letter of the law and you ignore very meaningful true, true things. great example is transfer pricing. So, so say I manufacture something in America and I sell it overseas and uh, all the intellectual property is in America, the manufacturing is in America, the sales team is in America, everything is in America except for the customers. So if I, if I were to, to ship the product overseas from America and I had no, no foreign subsidiaries, then I would pay all the tax in America. Now, the, the foreign country might say, hey, hold on, you should get, we should get some income tax here. But let's put that nuance to the side. If, if you're in that business, you're going to be very tempted to create a legal entity in a tax haven. And then you're going to be very tempted to say, well, the treasury function for the global enterprise is, is, is run out of that tax haven. Well, you know, the, the risk management function is run out of that tax haven. And actually you know, when, when when we fund our operations and we fund funnel the money through the tax haven, now the tax haven should get the return that an investor in that kind of business would get. And so you do what's called a transfer pricing report. And the people doing the transfer pricing reports are PhDs in economics. And they know what the purpose of the drill is. The purpose of the drill is to make as much of the income happen in the low income place, in the, sorry, the low tax place. So before you know it, a vast amount of the income of the enterprise is not taxed anywhere. It's taxed nowhere income. And everyone knows the purpose of the drill. The purpose of the drill is to reduce taxes. And and everyone knows that the transfer pricing analysis is inherently dishonest. The principle behind transfer pricing is that the price at which two unrelated parties would do a deal. Well, that principle is, is comically ignored, right? If you're an American company, would you give all your intellectual property, all your customers, all your manufacturing secrets, all your profits, to a tax haven, uh, unrelated party? Of course, you would not. But suddenly, when you when you do it in the context of the global tax plan, and you and you hire some experts to give you a transfer pricing report, they say, "Oh, yes, 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 this is what this is what unrelated people would do." Well, that's that's nonsense. It's not true. It's fraud. It's 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 self deception, right? I mean, the the people know. That, they are, that they're doing something dishonest, but they, these are respectable people, right? They, they went to college, they worked hard, they, you know, they, they go to church, they love their kids. The, these are not people who are criminals in their own mind, but their daily job is to do criminal stuff.
1: You mentioned the services offered by the accounting companies in uh, evading tax. What are some of the standard packages offered by them?
0: Well, so if, if you look at the history of the industry, you'll see that from time to time Congress will get excited and will and will pursue the accounting firms. So, so the accounting firm KPMG um, had to enter into a deferred prosecution agreement for selling tax shelters, which is basically off-the-shelf tax shelters that anyone can buy. You know, and and, and one of the more notorious ones was called a Midco. Midcos were identified as as intentional. Tax fraud that was was sold to customers in order to defraud the government. KPMG was caught doing it, and they and they had to say, "Well, we don't admit that we ever did anything wrong, but if we did, you know, and, and we do it again, then um, <laughs> you know, bad things happen." A, a deferred prosecution agreement. So that's sort of one category. Another category is a more bespoke type of tax planning, which is much more sophisticated, expensive, and harder to catch. And that's where. The, the accountants understand the business well enough to come up with a unique and special tax plan. And one of the, the best pieces of evidence about how that works is the um, Senate Finance Committee did a analysis, a very, very deep analysis on Caterpillar. Caterpillar had a tax whistleblower named Dan Schlicksup who was you know, in the tax department and knew everything. And, and he told the government about what Cat was doing yeah, you know, which is not unusual. I mean, whistleblowers frequently tell the government. But what was what was shocking and unusual in this case is that they, the government actually did something, and they and they pursued Caterpillar aggressively, and they and they wrote up a large report. And that report speaks volumes about how this is done. So there was a, a, a partner at PwC who had developed an expertise in supply chain management. But this practice of setting up a low tax structure into which all the profits flow. Was was done, it really uh, to a gold standard at at Caterpillar. Caterpillar knew the law. They had very. They had PwC knew knew what they were doing. They had McDermott Will and Emery, which was also very competent. And they put together this plan where they had a, a Swiss company that had over 100 employees, and then it had uh, a Belgian plant. And a, 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 you know it was a, it was a large, well documented, well put together, well thought out plan. But the government had uniquely had all of the information because a guy in the tax department gave it to him. Usually all the government has is this nonsense story that the, that the professionals tell, tell the, the IRS examiners. In this case, they had email. One, one email I thought was fascinating since one of the PwC partners said something like, you know, well, if they find this out, we're really going to have to do some dancing, but it'll probably won't happen until well after I've retired. So, you know, have a good day. <laughs> I think that I think that that tells you how, how people think about this I mean in a moment of candor generally people are not that candid right but generally people say this works this is consistent with the tax law right but they don't they don't take one step back and go does it make sense sure it makes sense if your objective is is to, to reduce the taxes but if, if your objective is to reflect economic reality not even close
1: yeah. Let's look at motivation. You know, you mentioned the uh, motivation of the corporation engaging in tax evasion, but what about the accounting companies? How much of their revenue, how much of their profits, do you think is um, going back to um, this tax planning activity?
0: Well, it, it it is it is an important number. I don't know what it is now, and obviously, there's been a lot of pressure on the accounting firms to to reduce the the income and the revenue that they get from their own audit clients. So what they do is they pursue these tax schemes for other companies audit clients, right? If you're, you know, there's only four big four accounting firms, all the big companies are audited by one of them. And then the other three are generally all pitching tax schemes to that to that company. And, and the auditor will pitch some tax schemes too. The motivation, I think, for the accounting firms has a lot to do with deepening the relationship between the accounting firm and the people who are in the tax department and the, and the company itself, so that they become essential. Any idiot can, can pay the statutory rate, right? If you if you were paying the statutory rate, you don't have to be very good at your job uh, as a tax guy, you know? So you made a return, mistake on the tax return, I'll mend it, it'll be fine, you know? <laughs> but if you're doing sophisticated planning, you have to work a lot harder right because you're getting away with something if I am a customer of a bank and I go and I ask you know for for a hundred dollars I don't have to be very bright if I want to steal a hundred dollars from that bank I got to be good at my job <laughs> right so, so the the accounting firms like it when the the firms are dependent on them and they and they very much establish a strong relationship when I uh, worked as a t- senior tax guy. I had a very strong relationship with KPMG. I was personal friends with a lot of those guys. A lot of the senior tax guys get their jobs from the accounting firms. The CFO knows that the the tax lead the lead tax guy is about to quit, so he calls the audit partner and says, "Hey, have you got any people who might be a good tax guy for me?" And and the and the accounting firm might say, "Well, we've had somebody work on your account for a few years, and you know them, and it's this guy Joe, and Joe's really smart and hardworking and." you know that already so what do you think you know so so joe came from the accounting firm he owes his job to the accounting firm there's going to be a cozy relationship
1: there right let's just look a little bit at the motivation of the legal offices what's in it for them right now is it is it just the fees is it also the relationship the access
0: i think it's the fees i mean i think i think lawyers are a little bit more driven by the money and less by the relationship. Although I, th- I think it depends on the relationship. In some cases, like the mcdermott cat relationship was very deep. And, and McDermott specifically, is, it does do a very good job of, of establishing relationships. But frequently, it's, it's basically just billable hours. Lawyers have a unique set of, of powers. And so, so, so they are essential to the company and the and the biggest objective of the client when hiring the lawyer is to reduce the the, law, the the client's risk. You call the accountant when you want to achieve lower taxes. You call the lawyer when you when you don't want to be indicted. <laughs> you know? The the lawyers, the lawyers have a tendency to uh, be much more risk averse. I mean, a- as a law firm lawyer, I remember drafting documents and it was staggering, right? When one company buys another company, you have a 200 page document, 190 pages of which is, is allocating risks for things that will never happen to the other guy. Right? <laughs> lawyers, lawyers are very risk averse. And, and that's why you hire them.
1: What are some of the special services uh, offered by the lawyers? I'm thinking of two
0: things. One is attorney client privilege, and the other one is internal investigations. The attorney client privilege can be a very powerful tool depending on, on how paranoid the, the decision makers are. For example, you can if you're an in-house tax guy, you can go out and you can hire. Uh, an accounting firm to analyze a tax plan. And frequently what happens is a whole bunch of bad documents get created. And by bad documents, I mean documents you don't want to fall into the tax authority's hands. So the, t- the accounting firm will say, well, we've looked at it. And we think you can save a hundred million dollars by sh- shifting the stuff over to, you know, uh, Bahamas. And we'll think of a business reason for it later. You know, hey, you want to go drinking this weekend? Uh, you know, first round's on me, you know. It, it, and so you've got these sort of bad documents that that might fall into the wrong hands if somebody from the tax department were to give them to the tax authorities or, or you know if they if, they, if somehow the if, the if the IRS did a good job of actually getting the relevant documents which which they generally do not um, but but if you if you instead of hiring the accounting firm you hire a law firm and you get the law firm to hire the accounting firm everything is privileged everything is covered by well we were just asking for legal advice right and 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 the the lawyers have done an extremely good job of protecting their tariff on attorney-client privilege. When, when a whistleblower comes to the IRS, the very first question they ask, is this privileged? Are you a lawyer? You know, it, it's, it's asked at the same time as, did you steal the information? Violating attorney-client privilege is sort of on the same line as, as committing a crime. Obviously, it's not. But it, but the way that the IRS regards it, the, the, the power of the attorney-client privilege is very powerful in helping you get away with fraud. Obviously, that's not what the doctrine is for but it's a great tool for achieving that. The second is the quote internal investigation and and all that goes with that. The lawyers have created a very powerful niche in attacking people who who would, would challenge the company. There's a sort of a playbook. If there's a whistleblower, then step one, Find out everything you can about that whistleblower and find something that whistleblower has done. And if they haven't done something, make it up and attack, attack, attack. And, and the lawyers have that skill and that, you know, that expertise and uh, the, the accounting firms have not. I, you know, obviously, lawyers have a lot of other skills. Lawyers are, are analytical. They, they know how to do uh, transactions in different ways. But I think those are the two most unique skills that lawyers bring to the, hey, let's get away with tax fraud
1: party. The players on the inside—you uh, mentioned the CFO, you mentioned the tax planner, the tax planning department. What is their motivation to do all of that?
0: Well, it depends, but I mean, I would say bonuses is the is the biggest one. Most companies are measured their financial performance is measured on a on a revenue or a pre-tax basis. So, so the the tax the tax benefits frequently don't directly impact the most important metrics, right? The taxes improve net income. Some some companies are measured on an net income basis. Financial companies are more likely to measure on an net income basis, but manufacturers or or retailers are more likely to be measured on a on a pre-tax basis. Saving taxes still does mean creates meaningful benefits for the company, one of which is preserving cash. Cash is is always good. The tax line, the ability to manipulate the amount of taxes that you accrue and pay to the government, can be used to achieve financial objectives that are difficult to achieve via other methods. It's, it's it's one of the sort of the arrows in the CFO's quiver. It, it goes above the CFO, really. I mean, it goes to the board. It goes to the shareholders. If, if you have an enterprise that makes $100 before tax and you're in a 35% tax place, then you end up with $65. If you can make that tax number go down to 10%, now you have $90. You got $25 worth of cash to do something with. Pay bonuses, pay dividends, buy other companies, pay bribes. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever Whatever it is, yeah.
1: (laughs) Whatever it is. Now, if if careers uh, depend so much on on uh, these goals and bonuses as well, uh, what happens to people who don't play the game? Well,
0: I mean, whistleblowers get harshly treated. Most people, I think, realize that failing to play the game is a bad strategy, and and most people, I think. For, for obvious reasons self-preservation they love their kids you know they, they mm-hmm. love their life they you know go along with fraud It's unusual for people to have the temerity to to put their hand up and say, hey CFO come on we're cheating here I did it but as, as you said I, I think of myself as being an accidental whistleblower when I worked at a number of big companies and I saw something wrong I had a tendency to raise my hand and I thought of it as being part of my job on one case, you know, uh, when I worked for GE, there was some earnings management going on. Earnings management is basically just shifting future income into a current year, so you make the current year look better. the The problem with that is that you know it, it creates a problem in the future. And so, so GE was regarded as having poor earnings quality. That is, the earnings that they reported to the to the street were were not. Reflective of their business realities, you know, GE ha- would have a tendency to have its income stream just go up by measured amounts every, you know, it's 100, it's 105, it's 110, it's 116. And that's not that's not what nature looks like. Nature is much more fits and spurts. So this earnings management that I saw, I knew that I would make myself unpopular by raising it. And for whatever reason, you know, the way I was raised, you know, arrogance, dumb stupidity, I don't know, I raised it and it, it, it didn't do my career any good, but uh, it, it didn't really do any major damage either. But try that too many times, and it will destroy your career. And that's ultimately what it did with mine. When I raised issues that involved hundreds of millions of dollars, the senior leadership lost their sense of humor.
1: If, let's say, from the 1980s until today, the corporate income tax was halved, but at the same time, tax revenues remained roughly stable... Where do you think that this difference is coming from?
0: The Internal Revenue Service' most recent uh, guesstimate of the uh, tax gap, that is, the amount of tax cheating that happens every year, is was 400 billion. In recent years, or in the re- in the last year, they've they've started talking about it possibly being more like a trillion. You know, if you if you know a small business owner. And 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 you know them well enough to say, hey, when you fill in your tax return, are you hundred percent accurate? You know, are you yeah. There's there's lots of opportunities for gray areas, right? Using a using a company car for taking the kids to school, right? And and that's that that's a very small example of, of tax cheating. In my experience, those small cheats become, you know, you become bolder and, bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder, and and the numbers get very large. You know, I'm I'm only one of of probably, I don't know, 10,000, a big number of professional tax planners. And, and I know that my personal number for, for the amount of taxes that I've denied the government is, is well in excess of a billion dollars. The numbers get very big, very quickly in big companies. And, and I think that the, the, most, the most important point is not that it's a lot of money. Right. I mean, obviously, the money matters if you if you don't raise the money from the companies, you have to raise it from someone else. And that someone else may be less able to pay. And the taxes that are raised are used for important things. You know, they build roads, they, they you know, universities, et cetera. If they're not if it's not raised, then it has to be borrowed. And if, and if it's borrowed, then future generations are burdened with that debt. But, but I think that, in my opinion, the biggest cost is still not the money it's the erosion of the fabric of society such that you know the very same tax haven jurisdiction which i used to shelter income for walmart caterpillar etc oxbow th- those very jurisdictions are also helping third world dictators and drug dealers and human trafficking uh, masters hide their money so the consequences of of the erosion of the the fabric of society caused by tax cheating is 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 actual damage to human beings, not, quote, just money. I mean, just money matters. Right. I mean, you you need money to buy vaccines, for example. So, I mean, money does matter. But if reasonable people who think of themselves as good people have a huge financial incentive to say, you know what? Third world countries, tax jurisdictions, tax havens need secrecy. And they're, and they're saying it because, because, because their company needs that secrecy in order to achieve their tax goals, there's a, there's a knock-on effect. And that knock-on effect is that the drug dealer now has a good place to park his money. And, and, you
1: know. Now, coming towards the end of our discussion today, I'm asking, I would like to ask you the question I'm asking every one of my guests. What single decision do you think would have the greatest impact in uh, fighting fraud and corruption from your point of view?
0: I think it's a great question, and a lot of people have a lot of good answers to that.
1: My answer
0: is, if honest companies and honest boards of directors could be persuaded to intentionally hire people who were fired by dishonest companies for whistleblowing, then those honest companies would send an incredibly strong message to the the market, right? That now it's safe to put up your hand and say, hold on, we're cheating on our taxes, Currently, it is simply not safe for people inside a company to put up their hand and say, hey, I think that we're polluting the environment. I mean, look at the look at the VW case. You know, VW for many years was building a car that intentionally was polluting more than the, go- the law allowed. Thousands of people knew it. None of them effectively put their hands up, right? And, and that's because there's an entire culture which says that if you put your hand up, you are crushed like a bug. Well, somebody should have, you know, said hold on we're not going to be the company that intentionally pollutes the environment if we're going to be the pe- people who who intentionally hire the truth tellers right it, we're going to we're going to be a company that says it's safe to tr- tell the truth here and that's not because we have a little sign on the board on the on the on the break room wall that says you know do the right thing it's going to be because they, we put our money where our mouth is the most important one of the most important comp- decisions a company can make is who it hires right who it hires and and what it does with its money. If you hire people who have a track record of telling the truth, being whistleblowers, now it's safe to tell the truth. And I think that changes everything.
1: Charlie, thank you very much for this uh, discussion today. And thank you for your insights into the tax evasion industry. Thanks, Paul.
0: Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Grand Fraud Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, nemexis.de, and subscribe to this show so you'll never miss an episode.